Okay, so today is a really exciting day because we're joined by three different psychiatrists with very different specialities, Dr Ian Collins, Dr Shredevi Gobi-Firth and Dr Kat Levick. Um, today we're going to be talking about the unique selling points of psychiatry and why it is such a unique discipline. We're also going to be talking about potentially what the difficulties are with psychiatry and hope we're not going to shy away from uh, the difficult aspects of it. Uh, so it would be really great if we could hear from all three of you on what your uh, speciality is and what you do on a day to day. Sure. Uh, thank you very much, Ella. Um, I have two jobs. Um, uh, part of my role is as a rehabilitation psychiatrist. Um, I work in a high dependency rehabilitation unit um, in, in South Wales, in Swansea, in the second biggest city um, in Wales. And my role there involves supporting um, and helping to manage alongside the multidisciplinary team um, a number of patients with quite complex mental health uh, problems, um, patients who often have treatment resistant illness, um, uh, who have sometimes been in more secure settings, so have stepped down in levels of security, uh, patients who um, perhaps have quite significant risks associated uh, with their illness and, and my role as the re rehabilitation psychiatrist on that unit is around, uh, I guess, the diagnosis, um, uh, pharmacological management of those patients, um, some of the mental health act work uh, associated with, with those patients and obviously working as part of a multidisciplinary team where we all bring our own skills and our own expertise uh, to the table. So so half of my week is working with with those patients. It's an, an 18 bedded um, male only unit, um, quite new, quite purpose built, which we're all very proud of how it's been designed with the individual sort of recovery at the center of, of that design. Um, we have lots of open areas on our ward. We have lots of areas for our um, our service users to be able to do their own cooking and do their own, you know, uh, gardening and grow veg and various other things. Um, still haven't managed to get the ward manager yet to introduce chickens, which is something I really want to do. But uh, there's some health and safety issues we need to cover there. And and the other part of my job, the other two and a half days a week involves me working in a, a sort of educational role in, in health education and improvement Wales, which is um, the, the sort of statutory education body in Wales responsible for educating the healthcare workforce. And I have a role within the medical deanery um, uh, as an associate dean uh, working um, on the development and the support of our trainee doctors across Wales. So quite a varied uh, portfolio career. Yeah, definitely. Um, when you say the Mental Health Act, is that the Mental Health Capacity Act that you've been working on? Yeah, so it involves, I mean, a lot of our work with, with our service users involves um, Mental Health Act work. Um, mm. Many of our um, service users are, are, are detained under the Mental Health Act. Uh, but, you know, the Mental Capacity Act is, it really kind of goes hand in hand uh, yeah. with, with a lot of what we do as psychiatrists, because we are, you know, there isn't a day that goes by, and, and this probably applies 
even more so to my fellow speakers, but there isn't really a day goes by where you're thinking about an individual's mental capacity in my context, uh, whether that's to do with mental capacity around the prescribed treatment they're having, um, mental capacity around their ability to make decisions about moving on and where they would like to move on. So, so, so whilst Mental Health Act and Mental Capacity Act are very different pieces of legislation, um, we are involved or I am involved in, in thinking about things from both of those perspectives almost on a daily basis. Absolutely. And it sounds like you want the service users to be very self-sufficient as well because you're talking about introducing animals which is a, a lot of independence it's really strong philosophy of our unit and i would i i think most rehabilitation units it's a strong philosophy of ours to have that very focused uh, recovery focused approach um to our service users where we you know our our aim ultimately is for each of those individuals currently on our unit to leave hospital and be empowered, if you like, yes. to get on, to get on with their lives uh, and be able to manage their mental health, but all the other aspects of functioning as well. So whilst, um, you know, my role is very much supporting individuals with a range of mental health problems, the role of the unit is supporting individuals with all of those other um aspects of functioning that we all have to do day to day yeah of course it sounds absolutely fascinating it sounds amazing um Kat would you mind just telling us a little bit about your role and the kind of things that you do day to day of course yes I'm I'm a, a trainee or a higher trainee uh, at the moment I'm an SD5 that means I'm in my penultimate year before getting um hopefully to becoming a consultant my specialism is within um, intellectual disability psychiatry. Um, so we look after the mental health of people who have um, a lower cognitive level on average um, than the rest of the population. Um, my job at the moment is split, actually. So um, I, I work in the community, which means that um, we see people, it would usually be in clinic more often, but obviously in this strange year of COVID-19, we've been doing a lot more home visits. That can mean um, people living independently or with their families or sometimes in care homes or supported living accommodation. Um, so that's the community side of my role. Also because of this year, the, the junior doctors on our inpatient ward were redeployed to go elsewhere. So I've been doing a lot more of covering um, the specialist intellectual disability inpatient ward as well. Uh, I suppose one thing I should just say, um, intellectual disabilities has previously and is still quite often called learning disabilities. Um, and I think the reason that um, we have tried to move a little bit more towards psychiatry of intellectual disability is to try and avoid the um, confusion between learning difficulties and learning disabilities. So learning difficulties, we'd be talking more about specific learning difficulties, things like dyslexia, for example, that kind of thing. Whereas learning disabilities or intellectual disabilities is a uh, a lifelong condition which means that you have a lower cognitive level which might be for any number of reasons um, it could be um, you're, you're, you know, you're born with a lower cognitive level it might be to do with a genetic syndrome or disorder 
for example, we do look after people with Down syndrome. Um, we look after people with autism, although obviously that's a more complicated population because not everyone with autism has an intellectual disability, although quite a, 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 a significant proportion of them do. So um, people with autism tend to be a varied group that lie, lie across specialties, as it were. OK, thank you so much. So um, now we're going to hear from Dr. Shredevi. Could you tell us a little bit about um, your job role and what you do on a day to day basis? Thank you, Ella. Uh, I work as a specialty doctor in eating disorders in Scotland. I work in the community mainly and similar to Ian and Kat, I work uh, as part of a multidisciplinary team as well. My role involves psychiatric and medical assessments and reviews and mental health assessments, psychiatric risks, etc. And in addition, I also assess physical risks related to low BMI and specifically uh, abnormalities that crop up as uh, part of eating disorder related risks, electrolyte abnormalities, osteoporosis, etc. All the risks that you would imagine as being related to the eating disorder spectrum that um, usually crop up uh, with the patients that uh, you see in the population that the GPs can refer um, people to the eating disorder clinics uh, that don't get uh, bracketed into uh, any other, uh, that don't get sent to any other uh, specialisms. So we deal with specific eating disorder patients as well as the query patients that may or may not have eating disorders and uh, the related weight management patients or the ASD patients that may have disordered eating disorder behaviors. And it's, it's quite a wide range of patients we see in our clinic uh, with very low BMIs and it, it, it's quite interesting because it's a mixture of psychiatric as well as the physical disorders that we see. And I think that is the unique aspect of eating disorder psychiatry. It's a combination of medical and psychiatric disorders. And it lets me use both the skills to provide treatment for the whole person. And it's a breadth of different skills you need to treat these patients. So now that we've discussed that a little bit, uh, for our Choose Psychiatry podcast, I'd next like to move on to the unique aspects of psychiatry that some people might not know about or they might not be aware of. Kat, could I hear from you first, please? So with, with psychiatry, I think that there's, there's such a wide variety of specialisms within it that you can go into. Um, and so it, it's, a, it, it, it's really varied um, uh, in terms of uh, a career. I think we've heard from, from Ian and from Shredevi actually how different their jobs are, for example, to, to parts of my job. And one of the things I really always used to enjoy anywhere in medicine was spending a bit more time with my patients. And that's certainly something that psychiatry pro provides, uh, especially in intellectual disability psychiatry. You can really build up a personal relationship with um, not only the, the patient themselves, but the uh, group of people around them. So the group of carers or their family. Um, and you really get to get a holistic view of that person. Um, not only of their of their mental health, but as Shudevi mentioned, actually 
physical health does really play in a, a lot in in my area as well and in a lot of areas in psychiatry um our patients are people who often have poorer health outcomes than the rest of the population and so actually it's really important that we maintain a holistic view of 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 health as a whole um so uh, you know we're trying to promote the agenda of no health without mental health but i think that that really comes to the number of it so we're looking at, at health as a whole we're looking at their physical health we're looking at how someone is in their social and um yeah in their social environment um and we're looking at their mental health and we're looking at all of that as a whole and what makes them um uh, you know what makes that person um that their individual self um and what would best improve their lives Kat could you explain a little bit more about what you mean about poorer health outcomes the kind of poorer health outcomes that you do see in your job yeah of course um People with severe mental health conditions, um, on average, I think, have a, a life expectancy of about 20 years less than the average population. It's really quite stark. Um, and that that is not all accounted for purely by, by reason of mental health. But as I said, actually, you have to have a holistic view of your patient because mental health and physical health actually really it's a false dichotomy you can't really take them apart one affects the other and vice versa um so I, it really is stark people with severe mental health issues have such a lower life expectancy and then also within certain specialties and i'm, I'm sure both shredevi and ian will recognize what i'm talking about but certainly in intellectual disability psychiatry people with intellectual disabilities have an even lower life expectancy quite often on average than the general population and um, than people with severe mental health issues. Um, obviously, sometimes with certain um, disorders, there come physical health aspects as well, and that will, to some extent, account for it, but it doesn't entirely. So really, a, a lot of our job is advocating for um, a, an otherwise more vulnerable population than, um, than people commonly come across. Thank you so much for explaining that. Ian, could we hear from you next on um, a unique aspect of psychiatry that other people might not be aware of? Absolutely, Ella. I just want to um, echo really what, what Kath has said um, around the physical and the mental health. You cannot split them. It is a false dichotomy, as you said. And, you know, we don't just treat mental health problems as psychiatrists we treat a range of physical health problems so actually we not only have to be specialists but we have to be generalists as well and you know it was only um last week in my um multidisciplinary meeting seeing some of my service users that you know i was conscious of the fact i wasn't just um thinking about their mental health, but I was often treating aspects of their physical health as well. And no doubt Sri Devi, um, this, this chimes with her as, a, as, a, as an eating disorder psychiatrist. You know, I was managing uh, my patient's hypertension um, last week. I was starting um, uh, medication to lower my patient's cholesterol. Um, last week, I was looking at diabetes management. 
um, with with my patients. So so we we have to be both specialist and generalist and have an awareness of both mental and physical health and the interplay and the impact they have on each other. I guess the other unique aspect of psychiatry that 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 I've reflected on during my career is is training, being able to train as a psychiatrist enables you to develop skills that helps you with all other parts of your life, actually. Um, you know, as psychiatrists, we are trained and we develop quite good advanced communication skills. Um, we're able and we're trained to be able to deal with uncertainty. And we are often have we often have to deal as psychiatrists with um, tense or hostile situations as psychiatrists and we're trained to deal with those things. Now I think of my other role um, as an educator working with um, you know lots of other people from professional backgrounds. All of those skills that I've mentioned there are critical um, to me being able to do my other role as well. You know I'll often have to manage uncertainty and often have to manage difficult and sometimes hostile situations in my other role and generally in my life. So I think that's a unique aspect of psychiatry that people perhaps don't appreciate. You develop a lot of generic skills that are transferable to other parts of your life and career. Perfect, thank you. So just going back slightly to what you were saying about um, physical and mental health, uh, do you think that when doctors are narrowing down on what discipline they're going to go into, they think that potentially in psychiatry they're not going to experience a lot of um, interaction with the patient's physical health and that actually isn't true you do get to interact with their physical health as well. I absolutely agree um, with that point Ella I think and I felt that as well when I was going into psychiatry as a junior doctor uh, finishing my house officer year as was then going into a psychiatric training job there was anxieties within me that I would leave behind some of those skills I'd learned as a doctor. And actually, that's not true. And I think that is very much a perception, uh, perhaps amongst medical students and doctors making decisions about what specialty training route they might want to go into. I think there is perhaps a perception that they might be de-skilled moving into psychiatry and they may not have the opportunity to manage and support uh, people's physical health. Well, I think that's not true at all, as hopefully I've articulated today. We do have to think about patients' physical and mental health and manage both of those things. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that. Shredevery, could I hear from you on uh, building on what Ian said, of course, on what you feel is a unique aspect of psychiatry? Thank you, Ella. I almost everything Ian and Kath have said resonates with me completely. I mean, when I finished medical school and even when I chose eating disorder psychiatry, it was almost out of fear of getting de-skilled, to be honest. And eating disorders uh, psychiatry has given me a way to use my medical skills and psychiatric skills in a very unique way. It's combined everything I know. I almost feel like a medical detective, to be honest, uh, because I get to use both these skills on an almost regular basis. 
And in psychiatry, in any branch of psychiatry for that matter, you do have to look at like a uh, like they're saying it's uh, uh, you have to be generalist more than specialist. And you, I'm in full agreement with everything that has been said so far, because everything there is no health without mental health. <laughs> that is a very true statement. Uh, eating disorder psychiatry is especially not just about the food. There are several underlying issues and often we see patients presenting with uh, uh, everything, uh, not just physical or psychiatric disorders. There are even several socioeconomic issues that are way beyond our control. So recovery can take several years at times. So you do have to use a breadth of different skills to treat patients. There's always a holistic uh, approach to everything you do. There's an element of medicine, elements of social care, dietetics, psychology, etc. Uh, it means you have to work quite closely with patients to build their trust and quite often even with their families or caregivers and liaise with other professionals that are involved with the patients. And it's, it's taking into account everything around the patient and how they live, how they eat, how they uh, interact with the world. And I work with the fantastic multidisciplinary team. That's the only way you can put anything in place for the patients you care for. And it's the team that holds the, the risk, the high-risk patients in the community alongside me and facilitate their engagement and safety. It's all about establishing a robust support network for the patients in the community. I'm sure Ian agrees with me when I say it's about rehabilitating them once they are safe enough medically as well. It can definitely be quite challenging at times due to the complexity of presentation, but when you finally actually get through to the discharge stage with the patient, the fulfillment is incomparable. That's the benefit of getting through to the patient and getting through to the recovery stage when in psychiatry. It's the quality of the service you give in psychiatry as compared to you know, seeing a patient in clinic and medicine giving them antibiotics, getting through. It's its not the same at all. I've worked in medicine before. I've worked in acute medicine. I've seen the difference. of com I can compare it. And what I get in psychiatry is fulfilling not just at a clinical level, but at you know, a soul level, you might say. And the, the satisfaction you get is totally different uh, because of the amount of connection you have, the quality of connection you have, uh, the investment you've put in, because the quality of life you've helped someone achieve, the rehabilitation, the physical and mental health that the person has finally achieved, these can only be experienced fully in psychiatry. So are you saying psychiatry is good for your soul? <laughs> you can put it that way, yes. Ah, it's a nice way of thinking of it. <laughs> So going off the back of that, um, what advice, Tridevi, would you have given to yourself if you could go back in time and speak to yourself as a medical student? What would you say to yourself? That's that's a long time ago, but uh, let's say, you know, just going back a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I'm in a specialty grade uh, level at the moment. So maybe a few years ago, the grade itself, it, it's a middle grade. It comes with its own pros and cons. What I've enjoyed at this grade as compared to a trainee level is that I have my own autonomy and I can focus 
clinical time uh, to spend with my patients and I can invest in that rapport with the patients as it can take quite a long time for some of the patients to even think of recovery. And it, it's, I can uh, use that time uh, to build that rapport, to build that relationship with the patient. However, the intense nature of the specialism means that as a SAS doctor, as a specialty doctor, there's always a pitfall of taking on an extensive caseload without sufficient senior supervision as you're no longer a trainee, you're not in that protective, protected role anymore. So perhaps a few years ago, I would have advised myself to proactively engage with peer support in the region regularly and maybe link in with a SAS representative for wider support and maybe possibly take better care of my work-life balance. Uh, it's quite easy to lose track of how much time you, how much um, caseload uh, you're taking on when you're working at this level on your own. And you need to remember to ask for help and support because no one is an island and utilizing your team strength and learning how to delegate, how to self-care, all of this is really essential in this line of work. And the local SAS representatives and the BMA, these are all really good resources for doctors considering this route to help with professional as well as personal development. Absolutely, thank you so much. Kat, could we hear from you on what you advice you would give yourself maybe a few years ago or as a med student? I suppose there's lots of different things. How can, how can you start? Um, I, I, one, of, one of the things I, I would say would be, you can do this. It can feel so overwhelming, I think, when you're at the beginning of your career and then That's so nice. There are so That's so sweet. <laughs> you can do this. <laughs> well, there are so many demands on you, you know, in, in um, medical school and already people are I think I think medics particularly in, in some ways are making choices about their life very, very early on. So right through from GCSEs, you're starting to mould your specialism towards medical school. And within medical school, you're encouraged to try and know what specialism you'd like to go into to, um, you know, to mould your CV towards that, to be doing special interest um, uh, topics or to try and publish very early on. And we're, we're, we're in a career which is very driven and for, for good reason. And that can be really part of the exciting bit of it. It can also be very, very overwhelming. And I certainly remember at the beginning of my career feeling very unsure if I was in the right place, if I, if I would find my place within medicine. I didn't know what that was for a long time. And actually, this stuff falls into place. So I, I think some of the stuff to remember, is obviously, you've 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 got into medicine because you know you are capable you you have the ability to work hard towards a goal I think try and be gentle with yourself and not feel the need to lock in too early to something when you you don't know what is out there I think have as much experience as you can um certainly I think you can have more autonomy than you think in terms of going through your career and trusting your instincts I do think is really important and certainly it was something I struggled with in, in my past at the time it felt like st stepping out of the treadmill of you know medical school f1 f2 go straight into a specialty etc etc it felt an impossible thing to stand outside of uh, in fact I did choose to do that in the end and I took some years um 
uh, doing locuming in various different medical um, specialisms. So I got a lot more experience in in various um, areas of medicine before coming to um, a a, a locum job in psychiatry, where actually my supervisor there, although I was a locum, he treated me as if I was a trainee. And very quickly, I started to feel like I was in the right place. Actually, psychiatry fit me. It fit the way I thought about things. It fit the way I wanted to interact with my patients and how long I wanted to spend with them. Um, As well as, as we've mentioned before, you know, still maintaining a bit of the medical aspect of things. And having stepped out of that treadmill, actually, I found that there's so much more to learn in life. And, and, you know, again, we've touched already on the holistic aspect of psychiatry. I think that's really important. Wider life experience brings more to your uh, view of, uh, of life, of what patients are experiencing, of the difficulties they might be going through. And having a, a bit of a, a wider sense of what life is about for people who are not in your, I, I don't know, what can be a relatively narrow social circle if you if you're just very driven and going through you know schooling and medical school and all of the rest of it it can be quite easy only to see other people like you and actually wider life experience and and you know having having seen more will help you in your work as a doctor in any specialty but most certainly in psychiatry Um, I, I think it's so so valuable and certainly it was through being able to take a step back from that treadmill and, and have some different experiences that I found myself slotting into first of all ah psychiatry this is right for me and then through a, a long period of working in psychiatry and trying out a lot of different specialisms again once I when I came to intellectual disability psychiatry I hadn't previously expected or planned for that to be my career but once I was there I felt like I'd slotted into my right place it fit it felt better yeah it it felt like I was in the right place I suppose just one other thing I would mention just picking up something Shridevi said also is it's so so important to look after yourself I think again because because as doctors we can be very very driven and very career orientated it's easy to forget actually um, that our patients are us and we are our patients you know again it's one of those false dichotomies and it's quite easy to fall into the doctor who doesn't get ill who knows what's going on and if you're the doctor you're not the patient the patient is the person being looked after and etc etc I think it's a just very very valuable to remember that you could just as easily be on the other side I think it's valuable to remember in how you interact with your patients and how you understand them but also in remembering that we're not superhuman you know we have our own life things that are going on the job that we do can be very high pressured we can see some very upsetting things as well as incredibly rewarding and and uh you know deep wonderful interaction with people's lives it can be difficult as well thank you so much Kat Ian is there anything they've said that rings true for you uh, well, everything both of them have said uh, rings very true um, for me. I think there was particularly one thing that Kat said resonated with me. And any career in any healthcare role isn't all a bed of roses. It isn't all rosy. You know, I think if I was to give my advice as a as a consultant now to a younger me, I think it would be that throughout your career, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to take the wrong turn 
both from a perspective of making the wrong decisions, but also taking the wrong career turns. Um, all of our careers have had twists and turns and unforeseen hiatuses and opportunities and challenges. And I think as long as you can acknowledge those mistakes or those wrong turns or those wrong decisions, as long as you can acknowledge them, reflect on them, learn from them and move forward, then that's absolutely fine. We're not perfect. Uh, you know, we're not even perfect by the time we get to consultants. We make mistakes still. We're human beings. We make wrong decisions. Um, and, you know, above all else, at every stage of my career, I wish I could go back and say, it's okay that, that, that you've made mistakes. You've got to learn. You're not going to be a, a better doctor unless you make those mistakes and learn. And it's okay to ask for help at every point in your career. Even as a consultant, it's okay to ask for help. Um, and, you know, I have a wonderful peer group. Um, I have a wonderful group of colleagues um, the, whom I work with who I can turn to and ask for advice and ask for help. And I, I think that's one of the great things about being a psychiatrist is 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 you often build very strong relationships with 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 colleagues um, and that is really invaluable when you do need advice and you do need help. Perfect thank you so much and um, Ian going on what you've said our next question was going to be is going to be what do you feel is your greatest accomplishment do you feel having a good team about you making strong connections uh, is one of your accomplishments making connections making and developing strong professional relationships making and developing strong relationships with your patients are absolutely critical um, to you being able to do your job well uh, so that is absolutely um you know, a very important and something that I found very rewarding. I suppose what for me has been my achievement, uh, one of the achievements in my life is, is being able to do the two things that I'm passionate about in equal measure, if you like. Um, you know, I've, I've, I, I um, love uh, doing clinical work. I find it so rewarding and uplifting. Yeah. There are some times when it's difficult and it's stressful and things happen, which which, you know, are, are very upsetting. But I I being able to touch people's lives, uh, being able to come into their lives at particularly terrible times, at times of mental health crises is a great honor and a great privilege for me. But, you know, I get to balance that with my other passion in life, which was which is education and teaching you know even as a, a junior doctor i was always looking for an opportunity to teach students uh, that were attached to the firm as was then and that role and that interest and that passion has developed and grown through my career to this point now where i have a more of a formal education role and i'm able to have those those two passions, you know, I'm able to satisfy both of those those um, professional passions, if you like, um, in my career as it is at the moment. That's wonderful to hear. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Shredevi, what do you feel like so far in your career has been your greatest accomplishment? 
it's yet to come (laughs) (laughs) thanks for being so honest (laughs) but uh yeah i mean there are a few things that uh i would still like to achieve but personally i feel there's still so much untapped potential for combining technology and psychological approaches in the field of eating disorders and Uh, I'm working on a few things with the part of um, the global virtual reality doctors group, etc. And we're looking forward to bringing some uh, new innovations. And I'm hoping that's going to be quite exciting to see in the future. Uh, There's been a few practical applications in pain management, trauma, etc. And I'm hoping to translate some of those successes uh, in the realms of like augmented reality and or virtual reality in eating disorders treatment because there's definitely a lot, lot of conventional research to be done yet in the field it's relatively a new discipline in the big picture uh, it'd be good to see some treatment models uh, that would explore uh, uh, the possibility of uh, a new treatment models for eating disorders because uh, we, we've still not got the full hang of it yet. That sounds amazing. You're talking about using augmented reality with eating disorders. Yes. How does that work? Because uh, I mean most of uh, our patients are quite youngish and they are very much into technology and gaming. Uh, what we did like several years ago was uh, start to have questionnaires or like Skype for eating disorders, etc. Virtual therapy, uh, as in like online therapy uh, models for uh, globally done, not in the NHS, uh, around the world. Uh, but we've, we have a few uh, therapists that have started looking into these uh, therapy models here in the NHS now. And we formed a group uh, and we're seeing if the augmented reality uh, or the virtual reality uh, might start working uh, because they, they have produced good results in pain management and OCD. And that might, uh, they have very similar genetic loci for eating disorders. OCD okay. and anorexia have similar genetic loci. Okay, amazing. So maybe there will be some innovations. So it, it might it might be the, that the next steps will emerge with some innovation and imagination. <laughs> might be. That's uh, absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's it was, really it was interesting. To, we were supposed to have something happening with the Dubai Expo in 2020. Unfortunately, COVID hit and nothing happened. <laughs> Yeah, that's happened with a lot of things, hasn't it? Um, So the passion was, I mean, my passion is around like combining technology and uh, psychotherapy, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So watch the space. So achievements, achievements yet to come. Yeah. Rented reality. That's fascinating. Thank you so much for that. Kat, lastly, but not leastly, what do you feel is your greatest accomplishment with psychiatry? Oh, I suppose... uh, Similarly, I'm, I'm going to echo some of what Shadavi and Ian have, have both said. Um, I suppose a lot is really making those connections. And I think Ian mentioned about the, the privilege, really, of being trusted with, with people's people's life stories, you know, people's uh, difficulties. And as part of that, really, is um, 
you know relishing the the gray area in life because things are not all things are not all black or white you know you especially in psychiatry you can't do a blood test to diagnose schizophrenia it's a lot about the connection you make with that person and what you find out about their life and how you understand what they're telling you how you communicate with them um in lots of areas in psychiatry and especially intellectual disabilities there's a real role for advocating for people's autonomy and for protecting that person's decisions about their own life um and i suppose those connections come through to to connections with colleagues as well um i suppose thinking about my own achievements or accomplishments i guess um so some of that stuff came through just keeping going when when things were difficult so a few years ago i had a family bereavement and i went through a very difficult time and despite that kept working and although that was difficult it led me to discovering new things about myself about my abilities and my strength to be able to keep going through that kind of thing it also led me to discover things like for example um uh, mindfulness was something that I found very helpful it's something that's not necessarily helpful for everybody but it certainly was something that was helpful for me and sort of led me back around to um, a kind of supportive role for, for colleagues and for other people who who might be going through difficult things in their lives it added an element of being able to understand patients a bit better again um, and actually has sort of come full circle in two ways one is um, I'm looking more into uh, mindfulness in the intellectual disabilities patient population which is something which hasn't been explored in depth and I think certainly in the traditional routes wasn't thought to be something that would necessarily be helpful initially but actually it's been shown that that um, that there have been a, a few a, a few experiments or a few experiences where, where actually people with intellectual disabilities can benefit from mindfulness and not only that they can help move on to teach their peers about it but also in a role as I mentioned about supporting colleagues and if you'd asked me a few years ago where I saw myself um, one thing that I'm doing now is uh, I, I am just coming to the end of my term as the national intellectual disability trainee rep to the Royal College of Psychiatrists. I could never ever have guessed that I would end up in such a place and I, I never would have guessed I would have dared apply for such a thing uh, and some of that has come through as I said my own experience of, of of getting through adversity and difficulty and wanting really to represent my colleagues in that way so um, yeah all of that coming together and I suppose again something should ever be touched on is this is all an on, it's an ongoing thing you know um life is on life is ongoing but especially in a medical career I think you're constantly learning and um, constantly moving through new new boundaries and uh, you know coming to new uh, experiences and opportunities and I think that's part of the really exciting thing about it. Yeah that's amazing thank you so much and you ha have achieved an enormous amount so it's great to so great to hear and sometimes good to blow your own trumpet it's funny you said about blowing our own trumpet ella it's something that <laughs> doesn't come comfortably for sure but oh, I, I think let's it's do it more. we should all be good at um I, and i just wanted to say thank you so so much everyone uh for coming on and speaking so candidly about psychiatry and about some of the difficulties that come with it and uh largely what i heard was that 
it, it's actually a very positive and soul nourishing experience. I, I heard uh, so much interesting and um, uh, passionate aspects of psychiatry. So I just want to say thank you so much. You know, I wouldn't say thank you to you as well, because I think sometimes, especially as I said, this year has been so difficult for everyone and mm. you can lose sight of things sometimes when you feel like you're struggling a bit and actually the opportunity to to sit and talk about and, and actually to have a think about questions like, you know, what is it that's special about what you do? What are your accomplishments and achievements actually reminds one of, you know, why, yeah, reminds us of why we are where we are, which actually I think is really valuable. And hearing Ian intro Debbie as well, um, again, just reminds you, actually, I love my job. <laughs> Dr Ian Collings, Dr Kat Levick and Dr Shradevi Gopi Firth were talking to me as part of Choose Psychiatry. For more information about this campaign, please visit our website, which is www.rcpsych.ac.uk and select Become a Psychiatrist.